Good morning, everybody. Glad to see you. It's great to be together in the house of the Lord. And I welcome everyone, Calvary Online, all of you outside and over in our chapel in our traditional venue as well. Good morning. Great to see you. Uh, happy August 1st. Can you believe it? We're in August. That's amazing. The last time I got to speak with you guys, it was Memorial Day and we were kicking off the summer. And it was exciting. I was telling you, here's the plans. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're allowed to do. And now here we are, August 1st. And I want to give you a little bit of a flashback because school starts in less than two weeks. Uh, usually there's like a, oh, everyone's just sad, you know, but parents are like, woohoo, school starts. All right. Kids are leaving to college. Things are happening. And so a quick flashback that I want to share with you guys. Um, we talked about what could we do this summer for kids and teenagers. And so our incredible family ministry and our student ministry put together these backyard pool parties. And so we found host homes. I hosted, I know several of you hosted. We found these homes that had pools and we showed up and the student team, there's an amazing staff there. And they brought a COVID safe friendly dinner. It was all separate. Kids entered on the outside. They'd go play in the pools, they'd go have fun. And it was intentional, relational, fun and safe. We wanted to give them something fun to do where we could teach them about the love of Christ yet still fall under all the protocols that we were under at the time. So we hosted them and they were a blast. And the ones that we had at my house, I did a middle school and a high school. And I always had parents on the other side of the deck because we wanted to hang out and connect and have fellowship as well. And it was a blast. But what I'm finding is so interesting after these parties, you see the church is changing. Church will never be the same as it was before the pandemic. I have one of my elders always says, um, get used to different. And I love that because that's what's happening. The church is changing. And I'm gonna give you a sample of what we've seen this summer as we're coming out of this pandemic, what to expect, because it involves you. And it's a lot of fun. So after this first bash that we did in our backyard, I go out the next day in my neighborhood. There's a lot of people that walk. All my neighbors walk. Everyone out here in California is so healthy. I'm proud of you. In Houston, we just sit inside and eat in our air conditioning. That's what we would do. So my neighbors are out walking. We say hello and we, we engage each other in conversation. And they're like, they know who I am and they know, they know what I do. And they're like, Rob, what? Um, a lot of cars, a lot of kids, a lot of noise. What, what's going on? What are you doing? And so that moment of engagement allows me to speak into them. Oh, well, we wanted to give the teenagers something fun to do in a safe, wonderful environment where we could teach them the love of Jesus. And there's that moment of the head tilt and the, oh, okay, well, tell me more. And then we talk. So then I, I, I host... Um, the high school party was a couple of weeks later or the next week, something like that. Same thing, same interaction. There's buzz in the community now because we do all these things out in the community. Gone are the days where everyone will just come to these four walls on a Sunday. Coming are the days where we all get to share our love in our Lord and Savior out in the community. Let me explain. So we did another party, same kind of stuff happened. Um, I'm in a community group. All the community groups met in homes because we weren't allowed to meet here. And that was the safest way to do it. I have an incredible leader. His name's Kyle. And we went through this book by Tim Keller called Rediscovering Jonah. I recommend it. It was a blast. We're going to talk about this today. He's a great leader. Um, they're really good cooks. So they host us for small group and we eat really well and we pray for each other and we learn God's word and it's awesome. But we all got together and said, hey, we all have college kids except for one couple and all our college kids, let's, let's throw a party. Let's get together and let's connect these kids. I said, great, I'll host it. So we have it at my house. Um, one of the guys in my small group, Ty, comes over and he starts barbecuing this unbelievable steak. Like I said, we eat really well in our community group. It's a lot of fun. Um, so we have all the kids and we got to engage and connect and fellowship. And it was so much fun. We got to connect all the kids. And then the next day, same thing happens. 
hey, Rob, we noticed you had a lot of cars at the house, people laughing, carrying out what's going on. And so I'm engaging in more conversation as the buzz gets out in the community where I live about what's going on in the church today. Let me take that another step for you guys. Um, Two weeks ago, as Christy mentioned, we had summer camp. And summer camp, okay, I've done pastoring for 25 years. I've done summer camps on the East Coast, the Midwest, and the South, but I'd never gone west of Colorado. So I go to Hume Lake Christian Camp. Let me just say, Calvary, don't ever give up that camp. Don't ever give up that week. There was nothing trying to bite me. There, there was nothing trying to attack me like snakes and scorpions, tarantulas, black widows, brown recl- That's what we have where I'm from in Texas, okay? All the creatures were nice. It was at like 5,000 feet. The weather was cool. Sarah took a picture of me and I, I was the first night I was there and I was like cold because it was... You know, we hung out with one of our elders was there at the fire pit, and it's like, it's like midnight, and I'm freezing outside. I'm not used to this. And Sarah takes a picture, and she goes, she goes, Pastor Rob, first time ever saying he's cold at summer camp. And she sent it back to all my Texas friends. They got a kick out of that. That was fun. Hume Lake was amazing. I cannot think of a better place or an experience or a way to experience God than that right there. But I want to show you, this is a picture of our junior high uh, camp right here. So the set in the stage looks like Disney. Look at the set they have there. And there's 576 junior high kids here right now. I got to go in because I'm a pastor at the church. I got to take a photo and watch them. And what was so amazing to me, it's the reminder that this is the future generation. This is the generation that's gonna take care of us. And as communities and schools continue to pull God out of the curriculum, this is the only place that they're gonna get a Christ-based ethics and morals and values system. This is where it's taught. And it was a reminder for me as they're worshiping. Let me show you the high school photo. This is 1,100 kids in high school. They have separate parts of the camp, the whole deal. It's unbelievable. And during worship, the worship leader will pick a moment to stop playing and back off the mic like Chris did with you. And these teenagers are screaming Christ attributes back to the worship leader. It was amazing. It reminded me to invest in the next generation. As Christy mentioned earlier, thank you, thank you, thank you, those of you who volunteer at camp and on weekdays with us. Our staff's amazing, the volunteers are amazing, literally taking vacation to go spend time with our teenagers. For those of you that have had a teenager or have one, imagine a 15-year-old boy or girl get 12 of their best friends and then lock them in a room for seven days. That's kind of what it's like, okay? But you go out and have fun. But the drama's there, the, the tense moments can be there, and it's allowing us to walk them through the conflict with Christ-like attributes. It's majestic. It's wonderful. And we're blessed to have the camp. It's, it's just fantastic. But this was a reminder for me to focus on the next generation. We would love to have any of you get involved because we can help mentor them. We can help teach them and help them walk through these ethics and morals values that the Bible provides. Um, okay. Two weeks ago yesterday, this was my next event. I got to, uh, my family grew. We went from five to six. The strapping young lad in the middle, that's my new son. That's Ryan. And I got to officiate this wedding. Now listen, for 25 years of weddings, I do a pretty good wedding. Let me be honest with you. It's a Christ-based, scripture-based wedding. I've done about 100. What I prepared, I'm ready. I've got the script. I do my thing. What I didn't prepare for was giving my daughter away. Like I've never stood on that side of the altar, you know? And so I got my message ready. I'm good. And I'm walking her down the aisle. I had another pastor help me so I could do that. And um, then when I went to the other side, I did my script. It was awesome. That was fun. Then I got to the father of the bride speech. 
I couldn't get through the Father of the Bride speech. I practiced all day Saturday and I just couldn't get through it. I'm emailing all my elders and my friends. I'm like, I, I can't do this. I don't know what's happening. And so I, I got through it and everything went great. But here's the community aspect I wanna give you. At the end of this wedding, one of the, one of the guys that Jesse had invited um, doesn't know the Lord. And he said, I've never heard a, a wedding ceremony like that before. Tell me more about your Jesus. And I was like, okay, this is, these things don't normally happen in my last 25 years of ministry. So what's happening is people still have this hole in their heart that they're going to fill it with something and they want to know what to put in there. But during the last year and a half, they haven't been able to come and figure this stuff out. So they're becoming more bold and asking it out in the community and out in the world. So we sat down and had a great conversation. It gets better. At the end of the reception, it's over. And Sarah and I are just like sitting in these chairs, just exhausted and spent. And two of the hotel workers where we had the reception came up and said, hey, I have never heard the things that you've said at a wedding before, and we do them twice a week here. She goes, tell me more about this. And so what we're finding as a leadership team and with elders is that the church is changing. It's becoming more equip and mentor and prepare here to deliver the message out there, even more than it ever has. Equip the saints, that's what we talk about. So let me show you your Greek word for the day. Here's your Greek word for the day. It's called oikos. Everybody say oikos. Okay, oikos. It's tomato, tomato, oikos, oikos. I have researched, the best I can find is oikos, okay? In the olden days, it meant family, house, property. That's what oikos meant. Today, in the modern words, it is social groups and it is affinity. It's eight to 15 people. And you're going to hear a lot about this as we continue to teach you what's changing in the world today with church. But you go through seasons of life where God will put you in a group of people. That's your oikos. And you have a season to influence and impact these people for Christ, to share what you know and share what you believe. This is not new, but it's increasing. Let me give you an example. As I was building this mega church in Texas with my pastor, I would always coach my kids sports because I wanted to be that dad that was involved to love them and care for them. But also we had services Saturday and Sunday. And when you're, when you're the coach, you pick the practice day and the, and the game day. So it was super helpful there too. Every season we would get a team and I would reach out to the parents and the kids. We'd have a kickoff party. Then we'd practice and have games through the season. And then at the end of the season, we'd have a backyard party at my house, just celebrating the team. I knew I had three months to impact those kids, to let them know that there's a Lord and a Savior who loves them, and to impact those parents, to help them understand the ethics and morals and values that are biblically, biblically based and help teach them and help them and encourage them and inspire them. That was my oikos, and every season it would change. Many of you have been through these things as well, but you're gonna see this increasing as God puts you in these moments and in these seasons to impact your, your friends, your oikos for Christ. It could be at the gym, it could be at Orange Theory, it could be at Starbucks, it could be at Pete's. Whatever your group is for whatever that season is, that is your oikos. Now we're gonna get into Jonah. Jonah has some oikos moments that I'm gonna point out to you. But as we transition, um, going off the review and into Jonah, I wanna show you something. This is the cutest little kitty book about Jonah and the whale. Uh, you can find these just about anywhere. This is from our kitty campus, Susie Corey, let me borrow this. It's 10 pages with beautiful pictures about Jonah and the whale. It's a great story, awesome bedtime story. Couple of facts about Jonah before we dive in. If you ask people around the world, doesn't matter the continent, the culture, the religious affiliation, whatever, most people have heard of the story about the great whale that swallowed the guy, okay? Call it an urban legend depending upon where you are, call it biblical story like we do. Most people in the world have heard this story. 
It's a very short book. It's two pages. It's four chapters. I'm going to ask you guys to read this tonight out of your own Bible because it will take you less than five minutes. And I'm going to point out to you the miracles and the things that, that people tend to brush over because it's, it's a fantastic story. So I'm going to encourage you to do that tonight. Jonah was written between 750 and 780 BC. So it's an older prophet-based book. It has the most miracles listed out of any book in the Bible. Now, let me explain. Because it's so short, there's like a miracle like every other line item in this book. So it has the most miracles per line item out of any book in the Bible. There are several similarities and references to Jesus. I'll try and point them out to you during Jonah's story compared to Jesus' story. Uh, Jesus, during his ministry, he only ever referenced four prophets. That's it, four. Yes, Jonah was one of those four. So we know that he's held in high regard, but we don't know why yet. We're going to learn that. Now, before we dive in, we hear about Jonah in 2 Kings, before Jonah. And in 2 Kings, we hear about Jonah being a prophet of God. God sent him to King Jeroboam II. The king wanted to take some of the northern territory of Israel back. And they would often ask prophets, hey, ask God if I'm going to win this battle. And Jonah goes to the king and he goes, you're an awesome king. You're going to win that battle. Get up there and go get him. God's protecting you. That was not God's message. God then sent Amos and Hosea to fix the message who said, King Jer Jeroboam II, you're a horrible king. We don't like you and you're going to lose this battle terribly. And so you have to, this is a head scratcher when you really think about it. Did Jonah hear God wrong or did he change the message because he wanted the king to die in battle? You got to touch your head and, huh. I wonder, because this is one of God's prophets. Okay, we are going to pray, then we're going to dive into it. Bow your heads, let's pray. God, we love you. Thanks for this day. Thank you for your love for us. Holy Spirit, fill this place like a flame. Rest upon my tongue. Give me the words you want me to preach. God, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, due to technology, we're going to get some verses up on the screen. I'm going to start off with the book. Here we go, Jonah 1.1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket, went on board, hoping to escape the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Okay, now, currently Jonah is in Joppa. That is modern-day Tel Aviv, Israel. So think Tel Aviv, Israel. That's Joppa. God says, go over here to Nineveh, which is modern-day Mosul. It's in the Middle East. Jonah says, I don't think so. I'm going this way. The opposite direction to Tarshish, which is in the southern tip of Spain. It's, think Rock of Gibraltar, right there. That's where he's going. So we're talking hundreds of miles from Mosul, okay, Nineveh, down to Gibraltar or Tarshish. That's where he's going. He's running from God. Well, God has majestic ways to get us where he wants us to go. I've done this too. I've been kicking and screaming. And what I want, the theme for today is you guys can go from place to place where God sends you. You can do it in an air-conditioned car, on a train or a plane or a bus or whatever. Or you can go through the belly of a fish. That's, that's the gist of the story today. But he's going to get you where he wants you, okay? So miracle number one, God immediately manifests this massive storm, okay? Like think hurricane. And the sailors that have Jonah in the ship, Jonah's sleeping down in the, in the vessel of the ship, reference to Jesus right there, and the storm hits hard. Now, the sail, think about sailors. Sailors, uh, these sailors are rude, crude. They worship false gods, false idols. And think back to the olden days when someone had a, a, would say a lot of curse words. We'd say, oh, that person has the mouth of a... Thank you, sailor. Okay, so think that way. It'll help you understand the story better. 
These sailors have been sailing for a long time. They realize that the storm is of a divine nature. It's not normal. They've never seen it before. So they go to their own people and their own gods. Maybe it's Zeus or Apollo or whoever they're worshiping at the time. And they say, somebody's God is mad. Let's cast lots, which means roll dice, to see whose God is mad. So they're rolling them. Well, remember our God, the one true God, can use anything that he wants to, to, to get his purpose fulfilled. So they cast all these lots and they realize the, the, the dice that they cast point to Jonah, who's sleeping down on the ship. They go wake him up. They say, Jonah, what's the deal? Your God's mad. He's going to kill us with a storm. Jonah says, guys, I literally told you I'm running from my God. This is what we're going to do. He told them that. And so they said, well, we don't want to die. What, what can we do? And so Jonah, you think he's a martyr by saying, well, just throw me overboard and kill me. and Everything will be fine. No, it's selfish. He so desperately doesn't want to go to Nineveh. We just don't know why yet. Okay. He doesn't want to go there. So the, the, the sailors become more prophet-like in this moment. And the prophet becomes more sailor-like in this moment. The sailors say, no, we actually don't want to kill this guy. So they take all the cargo, they throw it off the ship, they bring all the sails in, they put the oars out, and they try to paddle to shore. God says, no, 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 makes the storm more intense. So they come to this realization at this point where we've got to stop the storm. What do we do? Jonah says, throw me over. There's no other choice. Let's, let's go to the scripture. You're going to love this. The sailors picked up Jonah. They threw him into the raging sea. The storm stopped at once. That's miracle number two. Storm starts, storm stops immediately. Then it says, the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Do not underestimate this verse. Tonight, when you read this, camp on this verse. Highlight it, make it bold print, whatever you can do. Because here's the oikos moment. Jonah was in with these sailors for a moment in time, a season. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord, the one true God, his great power. They offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Do you see what happened there? All the sailors left their pagan gods and idol worship and began to worship and serve the one true God. So when you're in heaven one day, you're going to meet these sailors because of that moment with Jonah. It happened right there. The, the chapter closes out with, now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Okay, we're going to solve God's greatest question to mankind. You get one vote, you vote by putting your hand up. Was it a great big fish? Raise your hand. That swallowed Jonah? Couple of you, hands down. Was it a whale that swallowed Jonah? Hands? Who doesn't care? Raise your hand. Okay, just check. There, there, there we go. There's honesty. Thank you. Okay, I'm telling you because it's important. Here's why. First of all, biblical scholars that go back to the original text and they argue and they debate and they go through this whole thing, they say, it's a great big fish. Why do we care? Because scientists will tell you if it was a whale, whales breathe air. If it was a great big fish with gills, fish breathe water. Okay. Do you see where the miracle is different there? So I did a little research for you guys. And tonight when you read your story, you can also Google urban legend of whale swallowing people. Okay. Back in the early 1900s, down in the Falkland Islands, there was a whale vessel that went out whaling and they brought a big whale into the ship. The whale did not want to be caught, smacked the ship, Sailor went off, never found him again. Next day, whaling vessel finds another whale, catches him, brings him in. This time they got him on the boat. They slice him open and clean him up. There's the sailor, comes out of the stomach right there. True story, you can Google this. He was delirious, he was unconscious. His skin had started turning colors because the, the whale was digesting him, but he survived. That was 12 hours in an air-breathing whale. 
this is minimum 72 hours in a water-breathing fish, okay? So this is why it's a big argument and this is why it's a big deal. Huge miracle for Jonah. During those 72 hours, the fish is swimming from wherever they were near Tarshish all the way up to the closest beach in Nineveh. Chapter two is just a prayer. I'm gonna read the prayer to you in its entirety. And this is where apparently 72 hours in a belly of a fish brings you closer to God. Because Jonah was like, okay, God, you got me. I love you, that whole deal. So I'm gonna read it to you, look up on the screens, and then I'll tell you, oh, well, actually, before we do that, chapter one application, I forgot my life application. When he's running from Nineveh, the life application for you and me is, who, what is your Nineveh? Who are you running from? The whole point of this message today will reflect at the end. It's, it's who is God putting in our path, in our oikos, that he wants us to minister to, but we're running the other way. Okay? Let's go to the prayer. Chapter 2. You guys can follow on the screens. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down in the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. And then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more to your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O oh Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Jonah's back. He's serving God now. Last verse, verse 10. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Blah, okay? It's not this beautiful whale opens his mouth, Jonah comes out, you know, having a good time. He was, he was being digested by the great big fish. The, fist, the fish spits him out on the beach, closest to the dinner that he could get, and here we go. So God says the same thing a second time in, chapter, in this next chapter, chapter three. God says, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. We still don't know what the message is, but Jonah is feeling good. He's on fire for the Lord. Let's go. So here's what happens. As he's walking from the beach to Nineveh, picture this with me. Nineveh at the time was the largest city in the world. It had 120,000 people in it. I think Los Gatos has like 35,000 or something. So three to four times bigger the biggest one at the time. It was the darkest, dirtiest, most perverse city in the world at the time. It's the Assyrian Empire. They were worshiping false gods, false idols, Baal worship, Baal sacrifice, Asherah poles. There was slavery, prostitution, perversion, uh, child sacrifice. It was just, it was hideous. So here's what happened. Jonah's back, but it took him, it would take three days to cover the whole city. So he's gonna get to the king in the center of the city as fast as he can. And as he begins to walk through the city of Nineveh, he sees this stuff. He sees the statues of Baal, the sacrifices, the astropos. He sees all this awful, awful stuff. And his heart becomes hardened again. And by the time he gets to the king, he's so mad, he doesn't even want to give the king the message. This is why he ran away. Jonah hated the Ninevites. That's why. So He's angry, he's upset. So, so Jonah gives the shortest sermon in the history of the world. 
because he only wants to give the bare minimum to the king because he wants the city to be destroyed. I mean, he's thinking Sodom and Gomorrah, let's just, let's destroy this place. These people are horrible. They don't deserve to live. Jonah wanted to be judge, jury, and executioner rather than show God's mercy, love, and faith. That's what happened. So he gets to the king. It's the pinnacle moment of the story. And he looks at the king and he says five words. Now, it's five words in Hebrew. In English, it's eight. So don't say Rob can't count. It's five words in Hebrew, but it's eight words in English. Here we go. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. He turns and he hightails it out of there. He doesn't tell them what they did wrong. He doesn't tell them why they're going to be destroyed. He doesn't even mention the word God, the one true God, to anyone. He just leaves. But this is what's so powerful about our God. Watch what happens. The people of Nineveh believe God's message from the greatest to the least. Look at this on the screen. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. Let me, let me show you what this means. He's on a throne. He gets off the throne. He takes his royal robes off and he hangs them up on the throne. And he says, he's, he's showing his obedience to the one true God, our God. He says, God, this is your throne. These are your robes and I don't deserve to wear them. And it gets better. He gets this from five words in Hebrew, by the way. Watch this. He dressed himself in burlap, sat on a heap of ashes, and then he sent out this decree. Listen to this decree from the king to the whole city of Nineveh. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks. So now the animals are gonna to repent too. Watch this. Nobody may eat or drink anything. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to the one true God. They must turn from their evil ways, stop the violence. Who can tell? Maybe God will spare us and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. They tore down the Asherah poles. They got rid of the statues of Baal. They stopped all the perversion and the sacrifice and the slavery and all these horrible things. Verse 10, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. That's the end of chapter three. Application for you and me. Our God is a God of second chances and praise God for that or none of us would be here today. Our God is a God of second chances. Everyone deserves a second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever. God loves you. God loves me. God loves the Ninevites. God loves Jonah. And the Ninevites, because they turned, God spared the city. The application to remember from chapter three is our God is a God of the second chance. Last chapter, almost done. Here we go. Number four. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. Jonah is ticked. He's angry. Remember, he hates them. His heart has been hardened his heart has been heartened again. He runs up on this hill outside. He couldn't wait to get out of Nineveh. He runs up on this hill. So imagine you're on one of these beautiful Los Gatos mountaintop things. You know, they're all new to me. Houston's just flat. So you have these beautiful round things. They're over there, okay? He's up on a mountain. He's up on a hill, whatever. Imagine on Los Gatos Mountain overlooking San Jose cityscape, okay? That's what Jonah's doing. He's sitting up on this hill overlooking Nineveh because he's waiting for God to destroy it. He hopes that they turn from the turn and they stop repenting and it goes back to bad and then he's gonna watch it get destroyed. That's what he's doing. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty sad. So he's sitting up there. Listen to this. He, he basically starts yelling at God in this moment. It says, he complained to the Lord. Didn't I say before I left home you would do this? This is why I ran to Tarshish. Look on the screens. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. 
You're eager to turn back from destroying people. And then Jonah says this, just kill me now. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted is not gonna happen. God looks at Jonah and he says, is it right for you to be this angry? Why is Jonah so angry? So God's not done with Jonah and the city is still repenting. Things are going well and Jonah's up on a hill. So remember, we're in Nineveh now, which is Mosul. Think summer, 105, 110, 115 degrees. He's up on this hill. Okay, the sun is just beating down on him. God cranks up the heat, sends some wind to put the dust and let it stick to his skin. And he's just miserable. He's just, he's just an angry, bitter man at this point. And he's, he's so angry that God is gonna, is gonna save these people. So what God does is, he, this is another miracle. God sends and manifests this vine to grow up and over and around Jonah because God is trying to teach him one last lesson. He shields him from the sun. He protects him from the wind and keeps the dust and the sand off of him. And God literally says, Jonah, what do you think of my vine? And Jonah doesn't ever say thank you. He just, I imagine he just kind of says, eh, it's okay. And God says, okay, I, I tried to bring you around. We're, we're not done. Over that next night, God sends a worm, another miracle, eats the, the root structure of the vine. Vine dies, withers, falls over, blows away the next day. God cranks up the heat some more, sends some more dust and sand and wind to stick to him and gets him to this pivotal moment of the story. And God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be this angry because the plant died? Jonah says, yes, I am even angry enough to die. That's the last you ever hear of Jonah. That's it. God closes out this story and says this, then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, but you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly, it died quickly, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And the point is this, God loves all people. God loves you, God loves me. And when you normally read a book about a prophet, it's about what the prophet says. But when you read Jonah, it's about what Jonah does. Jonah hated the Ninevites. He didn't think they deserved a second chance. But God loves everyone. And as you read tonight in your Bible, in your own version, in your words tonight, as you read that book, when you finish that last chapter and God closes the book, I want you to, look, I want you to hold that up like this and pretend it's a mirror. Because the point of Jonah is, it's a reflection of you and me. Am I okay that God loves my enemies? Because he does. Am I okay with God because he loves people who are different from me? Because he does. That is what the book of Jonah is all about. It's reminding us that God loves everyone. So when you think of your oikos moments and your oikos groups, whatever season, whatever influence God is giving you with family, friends, neighbors, and coworkers, whoever that may be, you need to put on the hat that God, the, the hat that God wears to look at everyone and say, God loves this person, do I? Who am I running from? Who is God putting in my heart and in my life and in my path that I need to share his love with, but I'm resisting and I'm running away and that's my Ninevite. Pray about that tonight after you read that story, reflect on it and just watch God work and move in your life as he puts people in your path that you need to minister to.